What's up, everyone? Welcome to another edition of Turn on the Jets Digital Presents Draft Season. I'm your guest moderator, Steven Zance. I'm joined by the dynamic duo and Legion of Boom, as Dalvin would call them, Joe Bellick and James Kuntz. Uh, how are you guys doing this week? Doing great, Steven. Great to have you on, man. Doing well. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, before we go into our seven rounds, we actually have Michael Megan, one of our great Turn on the Jets writers, to go through a prospect that he really wants to dive in deep in. So, Mike... Take it away. Thank you, Stephen. Um, the guy I really wanted to talk about this week was Elijah Moore, wide receiver at Ole Miss. He really broke out in 2020, hauling in 84 passes for 1,193 yards and eight touchdowns in only eight games. He's such an explosive receiver who does primarily does his work in the slot, and he can win at all levels, especially down the field for a wide receiver that isn't the biggest at 5'8", 185. Lane Kiffin used him a lot like John Gruden uses Henry Ruggs, constantly moving him around the formation as like the eye candy with the pre-stat motion. And Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan are come from that Gruden tree, so I think he would be a perfect fit in this uh, Shanahan offense that we think Mike LaFleur is going to run. Um, I'm of the belief that they shouldn't be paying Jameson Crowder $11 million to be their only slot receiver. And I think Moore can do everything that Crowder can do and – consistently win deep down the field, which Crowder struggles with in those contested catch areas. Um, for me, Elijah Moore is a top 50 player in this class, and I think he's going to drop because it's just another loaded wide receiver class, which seems to keep happening year after year. And if Elijah Moore is on this board and either with either third-round pick, I think the Jets would be really wise to pounce on him. Yeah, that would that'd be great. I think that the Jets really should look to move on from Crowder. He does make a lot of money for a slot receiver. And I definitely think there are cheaper options you can get in the draft and even really it's undrafted for agents as well. Uh, thanks, Meigs. We really appreciate you joining the pod. All right, thanks, guys. Take care. Cool. So as we move into our seven rounds for this week's episode of draft season, I'm going to kick it off with our man, uh, Joe Bellick. And one of the mock drafts that came across, you know, the sports media world was on CBS Sports from Chris Trapasso. And the pick that we want to take a look into is him mocking Rashad Bateman with the Seattle pick. So, Joe, I'm curious, how does he fit the system? And can you give me some overall thoughts of him as a player? Yeah, Rashad Bateman. Yeah, I like this pick a lot for a multitude of reasons. When you look at the wide receivers that the 49ers have drafted lately, players like Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel, these are guys that have excellent run after catch ability and almost become a running back esque when they have the ball. Now that's not exactly how I would describe Bateman's game, but he can definitely do damage with the ball in his hands, especially when he catches it in stride over the middle, which works perfectly with a coach like LaFleur that likes to attack between the numbers. And I actually think Bateman is one of the more ideal fits for this offense. When you really think about it, not only does he have some yak ability, but he could threaten a defense on all three levels too. And much like Debo and Ayuk, he's, extremely versatile in that you could play him both inside and outside, which makes him a little more appealing than some of these other yak guys in the draft who work primarily out of the slot. And he's a really nice compliment to Mims too. Plus he has great hands, ability to catch the ball away from his body, great ball tracker. And he has some toughness to his game that I really like. Now, Bateman doesn't, doesn't possess that top flight speed we all love, but he's the kind of receiver that doesn't need speed to get open, kind of like an Allen Robinson or a Keenan Allen. Bateman's ability to create separation comes down to his skill in manipulating defensive backs with his footwork. His releases in particular are, are very advanced. He does a great job of getting a corner to take a full step or turn his shoulder, 
which he then uses to his advantage. Uh, it's really a thing of beauty, no exaggeration. His releases from the line are like poetry in motion. It's, it's the kind of thing you see on film and get excited about from an evaluation standpoint and, and from a fan's perspective too. Don't be surprised to see Bateman on Dancing with the Stars one day. He, he definitely had some moves. Um, now, I'm not sure Joe Douglas would take a wide receiver here. In the 20 plus years he's been in the NFL, the organizations he's worked for never really prioritized wide receiver in the first round while he was there. Plus, plus, I think it's a fairly deep class. Now, I'm not saying he won't take a wide receiver here, but with other needs, especially at edge with the transition to a 4-3 and along the offensive line, I, I just kind of don't see it happening. Still, you know, I, for one, I wouldn't complain at all if this was, this was the pick. I, I have high hopes for Bateman, a potential all-pro talent here. I, I really like this pick. I gave it an A. I love it, too. And I know a good friend of the TOJ website and former TOJ writer, Connor Rogers, has always been putting that Keaton Allen comparison. And, you know, for the Jets to get a receiver with the caliber of talent of a guy like Keaton Allen, that would be a huge win and home run for Joe Douglas. James, what are your thoughts on Rashad Bateman as a prospect? Well, I agree with a lot of what Joe said. I think Rashad is a really good wide receiver. I think it's very easy to project him to the NFL because he does a lot of things well that NFL receivers need to do well. Um, I do think it's worth acknowledging that when we talk about scheme fits for this offense, there is a massive assumption that the Jets offense will be the 49ers offense. I would like to present the possible alternative that the Jets offense resembles more of a Matt LaFleur offense like Green Bay, where it's a little bit less outside zone and it's a little bit more um, inside zone or more multiple run game. Um, and so I think it's just worth acknowledging that. Um, I think one of the interesting points that Joe made is whether this is a realistic pick. Um, in my mind, I don't see the Jets going wide receiver in the first round as much as I might like them to if Bateman is still there. Um, I think it's more likely that we sign you know, a mid-tier wide receiver in free agency and draft a wide receiver who falls to us with maybe the Sam Darnold pick in the second round that we get back in the trade. Um, I think that's the much more likely approach just because it's one that tailors, um, you know, the approach to the strengths of the draft class. You don't need to draft a wide receiver at 23. You can draft one in the second round or in the third round and still get a good player. So those are my thoughts on Bateman. I would definitely support the pick, but I don't necessarily think it's the most likely one. Yeah, I like what James brought up about the uh, the offense as well. We talked a little bit about that. And, and I, I could actually see him moving more towards his kind of brother's offense as well with a little bit a little bit more spread. Obviously, they are similar systems, but a little bit more spread. And I think actually Bateman would probably fit even better in that particular system. Yeah, I mean, I just think that this is definitely a direction the Jets should definitely look to head into as they go into the draft, depending on, you know, if they potentially make a move for uh, trade for a quarterback, which brings me to our next round of Deshaun Watson. So, you know, big news broke last night of the Rams trading Jared Goff and two first rounders, and I believe a third round pick to the Lions for Matthew Stafford. So given what we saw for Stafford, and we do know that the second first round pick is basically because of a salary dump, I would say that the starting point for a Watson package for the Jets is at least three first rounders and definitely more. So with that said, uh, Joe, what do you think about a Watson trade? Would you do it with three first-round picks and more? You know, how do you think that would impact our draft strategy if you, we were to take that approach? Yeah, would I, would I trade for Watson? Uh, absolutely, 100% unequivocally, yes. Truth be told, as ridiculous as this might sound, I'd give up almost whatever the Texans asked. Let's just say I'd be willing to even compromise my morals if it means bringing in Watson. Um, 
I'm not going to go into details of what that means because this is still a family show, or at least I, I think it's a family show. Uh, I'm not so sure anymore after Thor dropped uh, all those F-bombs last week. But uh, yeah, you know, all jokes aside, of course, Watson, and I, I don't think this is an exaggeration, he'd be the greatest quarterback the Jets organization has ever had. And the Jets would be primed to play competitive football almost instantly. Um, if you expect to crush the juggernaut that is Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, I think you need someone of Watson's caliber under center. And acquiring Watson is essentially like moving up in the draft to get a quarterback. The only difference is that Watson is a proven player. I think it makes a lot of sense. I, I hope Joe D makes it happen. Will he do it? I, that's a different question. I mean, realistically, what do they want? Three first round picks? Okay. Two first round picks, two second picks, and a couple of players. Uh, I think that's fair depending on the players. Four first round picks? I'm game. I, I would do that too. Okay. You know, Four sounds like a lot, but considering the Jets got two picks for Jamal and the Jets are most likely taking a quarterback at, at pick two anyway, it's pretty much trading Jamal Adams in a first round pick for a top five quarterback. And, and for me, that's a no brainer. Um, as far as the draft goes, my strategy wouldn't change. I'm looking to build that O-line, put some playmakers around Watson and fill some holes at edge and corner, you know, uh, amongst other things. You know, what do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm in the camp of do whatever it takes. I know we probably will have to overpay if we require a guy like Watson, but, you know, he's a top five quarterback in my eyes, and he's 25 years old, and he's under contract, and I just think that this type of opportunity is rare and probably will never happen again because teams typically tend to make their franchise quarterbacks happy, and they usually play for 10-plus years. James, what are your thoughts on this trade? Yeah, so I have a lot of thoughts, but I think the most important thing to communicate is that I think trading for the Sean Watson is a much lower variance um, decision than drafting a quarterback. And what I mean by this is I think the range of outcomes over the next five years in terms of record is very you know, wide and broad. If we were to draft a quarterback, there's a scenario in which we draft a quarterback, they develop very well and they become you know, a perennial pro bowler or even all pro, but I wouldn't go there pro bowler. And there's also a scenario, on the other hand, where we draft a quarterback and they have a good year, maybe they struggle, have a Baker Mayfield type career arc, and we don't really know where we are in a few years. And that's, I don't know, just coming from a two-win season, I am much more willing to you know, accept maybe a lower variance, lower ceiling outcome in trading for Deshaun, you know, where we're maybe in the range of like nine to 11 wins consistently. Maybe we have trouble getting over that hump. Like I would much rather be in that place than take the gamble that we draft a quarterback, surround him with adequate talent and develop him perfectly such that he becomes a star quarterback. Um, so I am in support of trading for Deshaun. I actually share a lot of Joe's sentiments about really being able to do whatever it takes. I don't anticipate that the actual price will be extremely high just because I don't think a lot of teams are going to be in the running to begin with. And I don't really see the Dolphins making this type of move. Um, I think they'll just kind of be in it to bid the price up to the extent that they can. Um, so overall, I'm a supporter of it. I think that trading for Deshaun um, is a necessary move in order to compete in the AFC against Pat Mahomes. And, you know, I would 100% support trading for Deshaun. Yeah, I mean, it seems like we're all aligned here. We think that this is like a once-in-a-generation type player to get and it's definitely worth the risk for the Jets, considering they've been searching for a franchise quarterback, basically since Joe Namath, even though there have been a couple decent guys along the way. But to me, it's a no-brainer, and I think that you just got to do what it takes. Um, James, 
it seems like we do have somebody returning to the roster who is on the team, believe it or not. It doesn't seem like it because he's basically played one game and a uh, game and a half, actually, over the past two seasons after opting out last year. And that man is C.J. Mosley. So, you know, if he's healthy and could be maybe about 80% of what he was prior to, you know, getting hurt and also opting out, what type of impact do you see Mosley having in Robert Sala's defense? Well, I think it'll be an upgrade from what we saw from the linebackers last year. But overall, I do have my doubts that C.J. Mosley um, will be good enough to merit what we're paying him. Um, you know, overall, I would say like my general attitude is if I could trade a fifth round pick to get CJ Mosley off the team right now, I would do it. I would maybe even do a fourth round pick because I just think that that contract is extremely bad. He is an aging player who has not played in two years and we can think, you know, all we want that he's going to keep himself in great shape and he's not going to miss a beat, but people get older and things go get out of their control. And I don't expect to see the same CJ Mosley we saw in Baltimore. And then that first game against the bills in 2019 um, in 2021, when CJ Mosley's on the jets. So I'd say my overall outlook um, is, is pessimistic, pessimistic. I mean, you know, I, I kind of, I just want to touch on that for a second. I, I think that CJ is only going to make about $7 million this year, right? They paid $10 million last year. So they kind of, uh, were accountable for that other seven this year. And considering they didn't spend that in the, uh, you know, last season on another player, they kind of rolled that $7 million over um, as well. So I know this probably won't make a lot of sense to people, but he's almost like, I know he hasn't played in two years, but it's almost like he's playing for free this year, right? I mean, they roll that $7 million. He's got a $7 million cap hit. So I totally agree with you that I, I think that they probably should trade him. But I think as far as this year goes, maybe maybe it's worth keeping him. I don't, I don't think that it's really that, um, cap prohibitive to, you know, to keep them and, and considering, and I'll, I'll mention later about the linebackers and, and they're pretty thin. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that he's definitely worth trying to see what he has left. And I think, you know, he's still under the age of 30. So I think that there's definitely something in the tank. He should have some fresh legs, but the important thing for him is the Jets paid a serious Jets tax to get him on the roster and lure him away from Baltimore because he really didn't want to leave. And then when the Jets were throwing him 19 million annually, it's pretty hard to say no to a contract like that. But the tough part about this is, is the off-ball linebacker is really one of the least valuable positions in football. And you can see that the Jets got some pretty good production from Neville Hewitt and Terrell Basham in the past two seasons. So I could see him returning, but I also could see them trying to dump him maybe with a, with a draft pick for a team to eat that contract. So, Joe, I know you touched on you know linebackers a little bit, and this is definitely a solid linebacker class with Micah Parsons really at the top. You know, who could be some options that the Jets could look into probably in the later rounds, considering we don't see that as a move, especially if they say at number two, maybe in, uh, the Seattle pick. But who do you think the Jets could target in the draft? Yeah, you know, as far as the linebackers go, Sal likes to run what someone described as a positionless defense. And I really like that description. Uh, this def defense isn't as vanilla as I've heard some people describe it. From what I can tell, Sal loves to put people in different spots and create confusion. So his linebackers are usually interchangeable and pretty versatile, but there are characteristics that still stay true to their particular position. The strong side linebacker, for instance, should have some strength and, and pass rush skills since he could potentially be playing at the line of scrimmage sometimes in this defense, but also someone who could play the run, drop back, cover, and play that traditional stacked role. Baron Browning, a prospect from Ohio State, is a guy I'm really high on in that third or fourth round range. He, he actually made some noise this past week at the Senior Bowl. 
Browning is a physically imposing sideline to sideline player. And I think he's an excellent fit for a solid defense. And, and he's versatile enough to play that weak side role as well. And the weak side backer is usually on the smaller side, but typically the fastest and, and most athletic of the group. And coverage skills are a little more coveted at this position. Jabril Cox from LSU, Chaz Surratt from North Carolina, or even Dylan Moses out of Alabama comes to mind. He's an intriguing option in that third round range who needs to work on his coverage skills, but fits the profile from an athletic standpoint and has experience at all three linebacker spots, including middle linebacker. And the middle linebacker is the quarterback of the defense, right? He pretty much has to be good at everything. And for the 49ers, Fred Warner literally does everything, covers, blitzes, defends the run. And Salah even had him playing at the line over a guard or tackle at times and had him running stunts. I mean, this guy is ridiculous. I mean, he truly is the jack of all trades. And hopefully after sitting out for about two years, Mosley can take on that role because it is crucial to this defense. And like we talked about, I am curious to see if the Jets look for Mosley's eventual replacement in this draft. If they do a prospect like Cameron McGrone from, uh, from Michigan piques my interest. He, he has all the necessary, necessary tools and toughness you look for, but is a little raw with limited experience, but maybe the perfect kind of guy to develop behind Mosley. He, he, he left an impression on me. This kid plays like, like his hair is on fire. Uh, with that said, the linebackers and the Niners in general are not high draft picks. And I know you mentioned, Stephen, about how um, Salah is this kind of a linebacker whisperer. So maybe it is, you know, beneficial to them to wait and to develop a guy. I know they have somebody on their team right now. Drake Greenlaw was a fifth round pick and he's playing lights out for that team. And I think that has a lot to do with Salah's influence. But these guys also tend to be just as far as the characteristics of these linebackers. They all kind of tend to be in that 230 pound range. And now that's not a prerequisite, but I thought it was noteworthy. And, and the common denominator amongst them seems to be their athleticism and an ability to cover ground. Now, they are heavily reliant on the defensive front to keep them clean, and, and building that D-line will be the key to success. But the linebackers are very important to making this defense work. So will they draft someone, address it in free agency, groom an existing player? We'll see. Maybe a little bit of everything, but they're definitely going to do something because outside of Mosley, like I said, the Jets are very thin at linebacker. Yeah, I mean, you definitely touched on some great names. And the one that really caught my eye is Dylan Moses. I mean, the guy got hurt in uh, 2019 and was slated to be a first-round pick if he were to declare. It kind of shocked some people when he decided to opt, that, uh, opt and go back to school. I feel like he could have maybe like that Jalen Smith-type uh, impact. You know, maybe he was supposed to be a first-round pick. You know, he falls a little bit because of injury concerns. But to me, you know, it seems like he probably played a similar role as C.J. Mosley when he was at Alabama. So that could actually be a perfect mentor for him if the Jets were to select him, you know, in the third round. I think he got a little exposed at, at the middle linebacker position a little bit. And I think that's why people are down on him. So I definitely kind of see him moving, you know, probably over to weak side. But like, like you said, he has he does have experience. And I mentioned that at all three linebacker spots. But he's like a really athletic guy. I really could see him in this particular salad defense really working his magic on that weak side if they, if they decided to go in that direction. So, James, you know, we've been talking a lot about Salah. But we really want to get some of your overall thoughts on Salah. And, you know, what do you think is us hiring him? How does that impact the draft strategy? Like, do you think there are certain positions besides linebacker, which we've touched on a lot, that he's probably going to target? You know, you think there are certain types of players he might be interested in based on his time in San Francisco? Just, uh, you know, walk me through that. Sure. So I think on defense, the premium will be on the defensive line. San Francisco invested tons of first round picks into getting an elite defensive line. And I think that we will try to do the same. I could see us going edge with the Seattle pick. Um, I could also see us signing 
an expensive edge rusher in free agency, like Bud Dupree, for example. Um, I could also see us investing um, at corner, although the free agency class is kind of weak there. So I think the second round in the NFL draft is a nice sweet spot for drafting a corner who has experience in press and off coverage who could fit Salah's scheme. Um, Now on offense, as I mentioned earlier, it's really difficult to project because we don't know what the scheme is going to be like. There will be some early indicators in free agency where we see what types of players the Jets sign and we can infer what type of scheme they will run based on those players. You know, if we start to sign very mobile offensive linemen, we can probably infer that we're going to be running a predominantly outside zone bootleg offense. Whereas if we sign, you know, more like less mobile, more like power uh, type offensive linemen, um, maybe like a Brandon Scherf or something like that, maybe we're going to be running more of a green Bay type scheme where it's more multiple in the run game. Now I think I would prefer honestly to the San Francisco approach insofar as it allows us to not spend money on running back, which is one of my core beliefs uh, in terms of drafting San Francisco's running back core is all made up of, you know, mid to late round draft picks, people who are signed for not that much money who can run sub four, four Oh, 40 yard dashes and who are trained in this one cut running style. So I think that is one of the main benefits of running a San Francisco offense, which is that it allows you to invest money in more important positions that help the rest of the team and allows you to kind of spend less money on running back, which I would argue is the least valuable position in the NFL. I mean, I will, you know, obviously we're going to, it's going to lead into prospect of the week and uh, who is, who is going to be a running back for me this week, but, and I'll go into that, but, you know, you know, Joe Douglas took Miles Sanders in the second round, right? So he's a pretty good back. You know, besides that, he hasn't had the best of luck drafting running backs. I mean, you guys, you guys like Donald Pumphrey? What do you think about Donald Pumphrey back here? <laughs> so I'll, I'll is he even still in the effort. league? <laughs> I mean, you know, he was part of a draft that, you know, took Jordan Howard and, and he had a first nice couple of years, but he's since tapered off since then too. So, um, and I'm a little bit different on the whole running back conversation that James is. And I, I guess we'll get into that when we, when I get into my prospect of the week. Yeah. I mean, I think James really nailed on the head. I think, you know, building to the trenches, we don't need to, you know, spend a premium on an offense. I mean, on a running back or, you know, I'm in the belief that Najee Harris is definitely a generational type running back prospect as well as Etienne. But I think that, you know, you can get low-cost running backs. If you build a good offensive line, you could see production. I mean, we've seen Alfred Morris behind that Cowboys offensive line be really productive a few years back when Zeke was injured. And I just think that we don't need to spend the premium. And we've learned our lessons from Le'Veon Bell, who I was in favor of signing because we needed that type of talent on the offense. But I think there's some buyer's remorse there since he's no longer on the team, but playing for a Super Bowl. So, Joe... You touched on this a little bit before. Um, who's your yeah. prospect of the week? I'm excited to hear this. Well, you know, it's not going to be as exciting now with, you know, all this, this running back bashing that we that you guys have done. But let me get into it. All right, fine. Uh, Javante Williams, North Carolina running back, is my prospect of the week. Get used to his name. He's a baller in every sense of the word. This guy is so much fun to watch, and his contact balance is unreal. He may be the hardest running back in all of college football to bring down. And he has everything you're looking for in a running back. Hands, burst, athletic ability, toughness, vision, and a master's degree. Let me repeat that. A master's degree in generating yards after contact. It's pretty ridiculous what this guy can do on the field. He's actually running back two for me right now. I have Najee Harris, Javante Williams, and then Etienne is in a close third. Now, 
you guys know I'm not a big fan of taking a running back early. And we've seen the Shanahan's have success finding backs late, like you guys did mention. But with more teams running zone in today's NFL, these guys are getting identified sooner. And unless Kyle Shanahan himself is going to help with the process, I'm not so sure I'm comfortable with waiting. I mean, the Jets haven't had a thousand yard rusher since 2015. Still, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not looking to take a running back in the first round. But the second round seems to be the sweet spot for drafting stud backs. And all the other teams that run a a heavy outside zone scheme seem to have found their backs in that range. Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb, Dalvin Cook, and even the Packers who found a player like Aaron Jones in the fifth round still drafted a running back in the second round last year, A.J. Dillon, right? Now, I'm not saying the Jets should pull the trigger on a running back in the second round either, but considering they've committed to an offense reliant on the run game, Drafting a guy like Javante Williams is something I, I personally could really get behind, especially if they get an extra second round pick for, for Sam. And we don't talk about this enough, but, but good running backs make offensive lines look better. And they play a huge role in moving the chains, especially in this particular offensive system. Just take a look at what Derrick Henry does you know, for that Titans team, right? And one of the best parts of Williams's game is his ability to improvise. His footwork and instincts to make the first guy miss on a broken play is really impressive. And this is the kind of skill, the skill set that separates the good backs from the great ones. And and this is the kind of play that could make the difference between extending a drive or or heading to the sidelines or even between winning and losing. So, yeah, I don't know if you guys can tell, but, you know, I'm I'm very high on Javante and his scheme versatility makes him a nice fit for this outside zone system. I expect this guy to make some noise on the next level. I really like this guy. And, you know, obviously you guys differ a little bit in how they should handle this running back approach, but I think Javante could end up being the best running back in this entire class. And especially now, I don't know what's going to happen with Watson, but if we bring in a rookie quarterback, having a really viable stud running back could only help him and benefit this offense as a whole. And so I would be more than willing. And I would actually applaud, applaud them, you know, going that route, say in that second round range. Yeah. I mean, it seems like you've basically given us the A plus scouting report on, on Javante Williams. And now I'm interested in watching some tape on him. Uh, I'm really a Trey Sermon guy myself. If I were to pick someone who really wasn't in like the, I guess, borderline first round, second round. Do you have any thoughts on um, Javante James? Well, I just want to say real quick, I'm sorry, James. I'm sorry to cut you off, man. But Trey Sermon, Stephen, honestly, that is one of those guys who, like in the third, fourth round range, that if the Jets got and did invest in a second round pick, I would I would absolutely love. I think he's a perfect fit as well. Yeah, I mean, I love Javante. Um, he, you know, when I did my old running back rankings, I think he was my running back too. But I'm definitely going to be revising my rankings about those top three running backs. Um, I think he's really good in all phases of the game. He's a surprisingly good pass catcher too. Um, and he has nice hands, nice instincts after the catch. I think one of the nice things about that UNC scheme, which is relevant just for him and also Michael Carter, the other UNC running back, is that it seems to be very multiple and that he has experience running inside and outside, um, which I think is particularly useful going into the NFL. So I, I would so see my thing with the running backs and not to, I won't get too deep into it, but for me, I just look at what are the other alternatives? What else could we do when we draft a running back? Well, we could draft a good offensive lineman. We could draft a good wide receiver. We could draft a good corner or edge prospect. So for me, I really like Javante and a lot of the other running back prospects, but it's just about the opportunity cost. And I think the opportunity cost is too steep, but if he falls, I, you know, Maybe I'd support it. I mean, I, I thought maybe you would maybe you know change a little bit of your philosophy on that, James, considering we are now going to this outside zone system. 
Um, that hasn't changed your mind at all as far as like the way you, you look at running back. And I know, I know we talked about the Shanahan's finding success late, but a lot of those guys that they found, I mean, those, those are needle in a haystacks. They were just like almost lucky to get all these, you know, sub plays four, four guys all on the same team. And, you know, I, you don't, so you don't, that doesn't change at all. I mean, you're, you're, you're thinking. Well, I think for me, the outside zone, like rushing approach, just from what I know about like getting fast guys and then teaching them this one cut mentality, get up field, um, puts more of a premium on like athleticism and then coaching and, and like making the right reads than it does like just getting the best running back and then just like having him do his thing. So no, I guess my answer is like, no, it hasn't changed my approach just because if we're going to pursue that sort of system, seeing them be successful with fast guys who they coach well and not needing to spend tons of money on the position is something that's very um, you know, attractive to me. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying as far as the technique and teaching these guys and speed is very important, uh, apparently, to these guys, especially. But speed really doesn't mean anything unless you have vision. You know, and, and finding a guy who has that vision to run this system is, is not as easy as some people has, have made it out to be. And I think when you see a guy like a Javante who clearly has that kind of vision, I, I think, you know, potentially investing in a little of a higher pick, it, I, I think it might be worth it, personally. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely pros and cons to this. I, we could probably go, for, go about it for about an hour or so. Um, but yeah, this leads to kind of to our last round, our round seven question. So, you know, the, the Robert Sala staff has been received with a lot of positive reviews from people around the league, media, TOJ specifically. Uh, one of the more intriguing hires was John Benton as the offensive line coach and run game coordinator. I know that all of us were really fed up with Frank Pollock because he coached one of the worst offensive lines we've seen in the past two seasons, despite having success while he was in Dallas. So I'm curious, you know, what are your guys' thoughts on John Benton as the hire and, you know, are there any specific offensive linemen that could be interesting for the Jets in the draft that would work well in his system? James, what do you think? Yeah, I like the hire. I think offensive line is one of the coaching positions where you need the most technical expertise, and it's really important to have somebody who knows what they're doing. And by all accounts, Benton is somebody who, you know, understands the position, is able to coach the outside zone system well, not just for O-linemen, but also for running backs. So I 100% support that hire. In terms of prospects in the draft, I my impression, and Joe can tell me if this is right or wrong, but my impression is that there aren't a ton of outside zone um, linemen in this draft and that it'll, it might be a little bit more difficult to find. I mean, one guy who comes to mind is Drake Jackson, who's a center from Kentucky, who's pretty mobile. But I think with mobility, you also have some power and anchor problems. But I think Joe can probably touch on some of those issues a little bit more than I can. Yeah, I'm with James as far as I like the hire. You know, Benton's resume is very impressive, having worked with the godfather of the wide zone himself, Alex Gibbs, and, and, and also Gary Kubiak when he was with Houston. And his link to Kyle Shanahan goes all the way back to those Houston Texan days. So, yeah, I think this is a great guy. If you want to bring in some guy who can mimic that run game from San Fran, this is one of the guys who can handle the job. Yeah, as far as uh, the offensive line goes, you know, when, when you're running an outside zone, typically you're looking for those prospects who are a little more on the athletic side, guys who can handle reach blocks and, you know, moving laterally. And so, you know, as far as the prospects goes, I think there are actually a little bit more in this, uh, in this draft than, you know, that people realize, you know, like uh, in that first and second round range, guys like Elijah Vera Tucker from USC, Jalen Mayfield from Michigan, Dylan Redunes from North Dakota State, Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State, and, and Alex Leatherwood from Alabama. 
these are all offensive tackles that at the very least would be really solid guards, you know, in this kind of outside zone scheme. And I, and I think Joe D would appreciate their versatility. A lesser known player I have my eye on in that like third or fourth rate, fourth round range, uh, Coyote Awashika from Buffalo. I know probably people have no idea who he is, but he is really like, I, I took a, a, a kind of a deeper look at him and, and he really is a, a pretty great player. I think that he's one of those tackles who would actually fit nicely at guard too. And obviously Wyatt Davis, the guard from Ohio State would work well as well. You know, some center fits, Landon Dickerson from Alabama, I think in that second round range, I think he could pretty much play in any system. Uh, Josh Myers from Ohio State. Uh, Creed Humphrey could potentially work too, but I'd rather see him in like a power or gap system. Some other tackles in that first round. Christian Darasol from Virginia Tech is one of my favorites. I think he's as much of a plug and play starter as there is in this draft and a perfect match for the system. Benton loves his tackles to be aggressive and Darasol is definitely fits that mold. I, I wouldn't hesitate to draft a guy like him at pick 23. You know, also James Hudson uh, from Cincinnati, a Daniel J Jeremiah favorite. Samuel Cosby from Texas is another guy who would fit. And this other guy, Spencer Brown from Northern, Northern Iowa is a potential fit and someone I'd consider in that third or fourth round range, but, but he could go sooner than that. I think he's probably better suited for a gap slash power system as well, but he's an intriguing prospect and someone who may, uh, may be a good guy to groom behind Fant for a year. I know he's one of, uh, he's a favorite of one of our listeners, Michael Christopher. Um, yeah, obviously there are, are other fits and, and my list will expand as I watch more. But I think those were some good guys to mention. But like James mentioned, you know, it, it is a little bit more difficult to find these guys who are big, you know, who, who can actually move. You know, it's, it's much easier to find these kind of people movers that you find in a power gap. But I, I see actually some potential in a lot in, in, in some guys in this draft, believe it or not. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Turn of the Jets Digital Presents Draft Season. It's been a pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it was awesome having you, Stephen. It was, it was, it was great. I love, I love that so we got to, you know, include a little bit more of the TOJ family in here. You know, we had Meigs on, we have you on, you know, obviously Dalvin is, you know, our fearless leader. So it was, it was definitely awesome being on with you today. <laughs> I could never be Dalvin, but I'll do my best from time to time when I fill in. <laughs> um, so please don't forget to um, like, subscribe, review this podcast on Apple, Spotify, and Google Play. And uh, don't forget to follow both James and Joe on Twitter Joe's handle is JoeJet underscore five, and James's handle is Fuego Jets takes. And those takes are definitely Fuego, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> and lastly, <laughs> sorry, James. Uh, and lastly, don't forget to check on the Badlands Patreon with some great content from both Joe Caparoso and Connor Rogers. See you guys next week.